0: This week I read about a preacher He became famous for getting good offerings at his church. He pastored a kind of a country church years and years ago, and uh, it was a church where the women attended, very few men came. So he had it organized so the women would do all the stuff. That's all he had to work with. They would collect the offering, they would do other things. And uh, he worked out a program with the ladies in the church. He said, you know, we got to get your husbands here somehow. And uh, so they decided, well, let's have a special program and the ladies bring their husbands. We'll have the best sermon we can come up with and see if we can't help these men come to know the Lord. And that Sunday arrived and these ladies were walking in the church with their husband in tow, all of them proud, all of them excited, had their husband sitting there. And the, the pastor preached the sermon. He preached his heart out. It was a rousing sermon. Nobody was sleeping. Everybody was riveted. They were listening. And then what he became famous for took place. He said, it's time for the offering. He says, ladies, please take your place. They were accustomed to doing that and they had their offering plates. And he said, it's only fair for me to say this. Before we take up the offering, there is a man here today who has been drinking too much. There is a man here today who has been using foul language. In fact, that very man has been unfaithful to his wife. I know who he is, and I'm only going to say this once. If that man does not give a good offering today, I'm going to expose him by name right here now. (laughs) Every man there grabbed his billfold and it was the largest offering they'd ever had. <laughs> money. Church. Uncomfortable topic for me. I'd rather preach about social issues, and difficult things. Preaching about money is very hard for me. When we first started the church twelve and a half years ago, I determined we would not make money a prominent thing. We had so many young adults coming to church who had been away from church. And I said, we're not going to take them sermon after sermon about money. There was great pressure borne on me to hire a professional fundraiser to get money for the church. I said, no, we are not doing it. We are not going to have the first visit in these people's homes to be about money. And so I created a DNA, a DNA that's not good. And that is that in our church heritage, the offerings have come almost as an apology, almost as a footnote to the service. And somehow, by God's grace, we've got to get it away from being an apology to being an act of worship. Money is an important thing. I remember reading the story of a Baptist pastor. He baptized a man, put him in the water, and a whiskey bottle floated up. He said, nope. Dunked him again. Deck of playing cards floated up. Nope. Dunked him again. Pack of cigarettes floated up. He said, nope dunked him one more time, his billfold floated up. He grabbed it and said, got him. (laughs) Now, this series, moving forward together, was born out of fear. Let me tell you how it came about. Last January, we had a plan, the staff, that on the second Sabbath of the year, Pastor Tom would talk about all the things that have happened last year and what's going to happen this year in his area of ministry. Then Pastor Alex would talk about what happened last year and all that's going to happen this year in their realm of ministry. Then I was going to give up get up and give a rousing sermon about the need for you to support it financially for that to take place. And so it was planned and I began studying about that sermon. Ten sermons later, we're starting that sermon. The reason being is that I thought, well, why would anybody give to the church? Why would we do that? And so this idea of moving forward together was born within me probably because I needed an excuse not to talk about money right away. We needed a reason. Why would you give to the church? You've got a thousand things you could give to. Why would you give to the church? Because together is a theological concept started by God in heaven and that as we learned about walking with Him and then we began to learn about walking together, we began to realize that when we pray together, when we encourage one another, when we help each other, that is what church is all about. But none of it is possible if the church is not supported financially. So today, I'm telling you, we're beginning a series we're still in, moving forward together, but I'm after your billfolds. Not really. I'm after your hearts. And we'll see what God does. The story we're going to read today is found in Acts chapter 5. It actually begins in Acts chapter 4. And it is, if you will, an elephant in the room. It's there. We have to deal with it. And as we work through it, you'll begin to understand though money is all through it, it's really not about money, but we've got to get this elephant out in the open, shoot it, understand it, get rid of it, and then we can begin to go forward in our concepts. The story begins in chapter 4 verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. The Bible says that early church was of one heart and one soul. They had a common hope, and they had a common enemy. And together, they worked to fulfill what God wanted them to do. Now, we have a common hope as the church, but we do not have a common enemy. Sometime before Jesus arrives, the enemy will be clear, and we'll all have that common enemy, and that will bring community. These people back then believed Jesus was returning soon. They knew their hope and they saw the enemy all around them doing what he could to destroy them, and they supported and encouraged one another. Does that mean God expects you and me to sell everything we have and give it to the church? Please do not do that. Do you know what would happen if you did that? The church would have to take offerings to help you get through life. This is what happened back then. It may happen again when we cannot buy or sell. It is not prescribing for us what we should be. It is describing what they were. That's extremely important. Extremely important. They didn't feel like anything they owned was theirs. They believed the world would soon end. They acknowledged what they had belonged to God, and they wanted to use what they could for His glory. It was completely logical for them to do that in that time and in that place. Now, Luke is describing for us the experience they had, and this experience is the backdrop to where we're going to go in Acts chapter 5. The last two verses of chapter 4 will mention by name an individual. Chapter 5 will mention two individuals by name. And their stories will be held in contrast to each other. Verse 36, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having sold land and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas sold his land, and he gave all of its worth to the apostles to use as they saw fit. Now let's note a few things. Number one, there is no evidence that the church was compelling people to give to a common fund. Two, Barnabas was generous. He was open-handed and wanted to share. And it appears to have met with the people's approval. And In fact, so much so, he's mentioned by name, and so is the act in the Bible. So one must consider it is not the norm. It would have been the exception, and that's why it was written about. That is the backdrop to what happens next. Now chapter 5, there's 11 verses that cover the story. The story is so interesting, I don't dare go a verse at a time through it because you'll just be running ahead of me anyways. So let's read the whole story and then we'll back up and we'll explain it. Here we go, chapter 5 verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, Buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Verse 1 But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. All right? They have a possession. The assumption is it's land. They sold it. And that's good. No problem with that. Verse 2 says And they kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Kept back is describing in the Greek, it's describing an act of selfishness. Something that they had promised, apparently, they kept back. Now, note this keeping money from sold land was not a sin. They were under no compulsion to give anything. There is no indication that a fixed amount was even expected. The money belonged to them and they were free to give what they wanted. Apparently, what Barnabas did was met with such profound approval that Ananias and Sapphira wanted some of that approval. So they made a claim. They had done what Barnabas did. They sold the land, and they gave all of the proceeds to the apostles to use. Gaining approval, like Barnabas did, was built on a ruse. They wanted the approval he got without the sacrifice that he had. The desire to please was strong, but greed was stronger, triumphing over their honesty. And as we read in verse 3, it's considered a lie to God. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? It says here that the mind of Ananias was opened to Satan. Something happened. They had this land, they're going to sell it, they sold it, and in the process— Ananias and Sapphira plotted how they could do two things. They could straddle two go- or one golf, straddling it, one foot on one side, one on the other. We will get approval from the church, but we will also prosper at the same time. Now all we have to do is make up a story so premeditating this act, they lie to God. By coveting, they are led to be dishonest. Now let's rehearse a couple of things. The church at this point has compelled no one to give to the common fund. The land belonged to them to do with it what they wanted. They were free to act as they thought best. Apparently, They're presenting something here that is not true. They wanted the approval of the church and misrepresented what they were doing in order to get it. Let's go to John chapter 12. If you're not familiar with your Bibles, it'll be to the left, just a few pages. The Gospel of John chapter 12. And we're going to see what is at the heart of this issue. John 12 verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. That's Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Here's the situation. Many rulers, many leaders in Israel, believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that what he taught was true. They believed that he was the Savior of Israel. They believed that. But they feared the Pharisees. They feared their position in church. They feared being kicked out of the synagogue. Verse 43, For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's it. That's the issue in Acts chapter 5. Money is the illustration. The issue is somebody wanting the praise of man rather than the praise of God somebody seeking the approval of man rather than the approval of God that's a common problem in fact so common every one of us struggles with it God's in heaven we know that we believe in him but people are right here And it is easy to compromise things we know to be true in order to have the approval of man. We can even be a religious leader. We can have a high position in an organization and still not know the Lord, but be doing things to be seen and heard of man. Well, how do you know if you're struggling with that, simple test. What are you like when no one is watching? What, are you, what do you do when no one knows what you do? What do you watch on television when nobody is there? What do you put on the screen of your computer when no one is watching. Ananias and Sapphira decided, you know, we want the approval of man so much we are willing to lie about who we are and what we are and what we're doing in order to get it. That's a common struggle, folks. We all have it. Because we are social beings, we want to be accepted by others. We want approval. We want recognition. It's part of us. But to seek the praises of man rather than the praises of God sets us in a place that is unholy, ungood, unwholesome, and we don't want to be there. Let's go back to chapter 5. So we see this is the issue. Let's see what happens, verses 5 and 6. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. They did not even have a memorial service. They did not announce a visitation. They did not put the obituary in the paper. They buried the guy without a single family member knowing it. Because three hours later, the wife shows up wondering where Ananias is. Let's make it modern here. 8.45 Ananias comes to church here. Greeted by a greeter. Sits through first church. This takes place and he dies right there. Can we get some deacons here? Drag him out. Throw him in a hole somewhere. Running a little late. Sapphira shows up. Same greeter. Hey, have you seen my husband? Uh, I think you really ought to talk to the pastor. So she comes. Same thing happens. Same thing happens to her. Now notice the last verse, verse 11. So great fear came upon all the church, do you think? The issue though, folks, is not money. The issue is lying to God. The issue is seeking the approval of men rather than the approval of God. There are a few simple lessons. I remind you of these. They won't be new to you. Number one, God knows everything we do. Number two, acts of kindness and generosity that are truly from the heart are done whether anybody sees them or not. Greed will destroy us if we allow it to. Greed will strip us of honesty and integrity. But here's the good news. God will give us a heart that is kind. He will give us a heart that is generous. He will give us a heart that is filled with praises to Him. And He will give us a heart that receives praises from Him. God will give us a heart. So my question is, is there anyone here who wants that heart? Is there anyone here who wants forgiveness of their sins, who wants the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, and who wants to live for the praises of God rather than the praises of man? If you want that heart, I invite you to stand. Father in heaven, thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us a new heart. We praise you in Jesus' name.